Hi everyone, and welcome to the Resonance Collective podcast. My name is Valentino Barrioseta, and together with my dear friend and co-pilot Eric Redfield, we will be sharing some of our conversations with the catalysts we meet on our journey exploring human potential, as well as through our work in the impact space. From leading researchers in the fields of human consciousness to impact leaders or best-selling authors, we believe humans are in resonance when surrounded by like-minded people that inspire them, when living purpose-driven lives and when being present in flow especially in the fast-paced world we live in. So the aim of this podcast is to become a platform to share the stories and ideas that can inspire us to become a better version of ourselves. Hi, everyone. This is Valentino, and I'm excited to introduce this week a short but I hope very interesting episode with Peter Fisk. I met Peter at the Women in Leadership Economic Forum in Dubai, a two-day conference uh, focusing on women empowerment, entrepreneurship, and social impact, where we both were invited to speak. Peter is one of those extremely charismatic speakers, not only because of his speaking skills, but more so because of his knowledge and experience in helping brands and businesses be more disruptive. He's a best-selling author. You might have already read his last book, Game Changers. He's also a keynote speaker and a professor at the Innovative Education Business School, where he is the academic director of their flagship executive leadership program. He runs his own innovation company, Genius Works, and is Thinkers50 director, which brings together the best ideas in business. I hope you enjoy my conversation with no other than Peter Fisk. I wanted to kick it off by um, one sentence that I, that I heard you saying today, where you said, in the digital era, physical experiences and physical spaces are gaining more importance. Yeah, um, we, 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 we kind of got obsessed with digital, didn't we? And uh, every, every organization started their digital transformation. Every company had to have their website, then they had to have their app, and every, everybody had to go online. Um, but we're human beings. And what's really interesting is how the digital and the physical world really work together. And to me, you know, some examples of that would come, for example, in the world of music. And if I was to ask you in the world of music, who's the most profitable company in that sector, who would you say? Mm. iTunes, I mean, Apple Music, probably, uh, Dr. Dre, <laughs> okay. Spotify, Okay, they, they'd be pretty conventional answers. Mm. Um, you're wrong, mm -hmm. think again. Oh, Live Nation, what I'm saying. Live Nation, of course. Of course. <laughs> I told you the answer. Yeah. But, um, but the point is that, you know, as, as we get into this world of digital, You know, it makes things more efficient. It makes things more um, widespread um, and cheaper to the consumer in many cases. Um, but also the value potentially goes down and the value of the physical experience goes up. So what we've seen in music is that increasing use of downloaded music or streaming of music. Um, but at the same time, the price of the rock concert goes up. Mm -hmm. So rock stars in the past would sign up as their as their company to EMI or Sony or somebody like that. Today, they sign up to Live Nation. They use the downloaded music as a promotional device, not as an end game, but as a promotional device to get people to go to the concerts. And therefore, the business model has fundamentally changed and the physical experience has become much more valuable and real to people. Look at gaming. Mm -hmm. You know, in the gaming industry, it used to be about people anonymously playing in their bedrooms on their consoles. 
today. It's about you know stadia-based gaming where you have gamers playing against each each other. We got ten thousand people watching them playing our game. And in so many other industries, you know, it might be cosmetics, for example. Uh, Glossier is the fastest growing beauty company. Mm-hmm. It's all about connecting people with a passion for cosmetics online, C to C, consumer to consumer. So they share their passion. They share um, their ideas as to what would be their perfect cosmetics. They can even co-create products together. But then you bring them together. They want to go to the pop-up store, which probably has a party on near to you. And so on a special occasion, you can go to that physical location. You can meet the people you've been chatting to online and you can see the real products which you've been part of creating. Mm -hmm. So the physical world complements but also enhances the digital world. And I think it's about how the two of them work together. Yeah, and you know, like you you mentioned the the e-games, you know, industry. Um, Isn't that a little bit scary in your opinion? Like how how much we are living in that digital uh, world, and that yes, if it's used efficiently, it might be something positive. Like you say, if you keep the balance of both worlds, but there is a big risk. I mean, the the risk of uh, really utilizing it in the wrong way um, is pretty high, don't you think? Well, I mean, the 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 scariness or the risk um, of a digital world would be if it was purely online and if it was purely became anonymous and we've never left our homes and we never saw the people we talked to and all of our friends were entirely virtual that would be scary mm-hmm. but what i'm saying it's not like that yeah yeah i guess once you know if, if if you maintain that balance i i can see you know like that it can be can be li- living together in a way but um i want to bring up um in one of the panels today um we were talking about you were talking about ai and social impact which i find a fascinating space mm-hmm. Um, but there is one thing that came out of my mind and it was, um, you know, you all know Arari writes a lot in Sapiens and Homo Deus about whether humans really have free will, right? Um, and he talks about, you know, how we could be considered algorithms yeah. and that we are extremely predictable, yeah. right? Um, and both you and, and, and your uh, fellow panelists uh, were talking about big data and how we are compounding data and the importance of AI utilizing that data, but isn't all that maybe making us more predictable, even more predictable than we are, and it's going to end up standardizing a lot the human race? Uh, I think, um, obviously, AI has both its opportunities, but also its kind of uh, potential negative consequences. And you know, if you look at industry leaders from Elon Musk to Satya Nadella, Um, All of them are spending a lot of time thinking about the ethics and the responsibilities which they have in the the use and development of these technologies. Um, I think AI, like any other technology actually, um, has its place. And the place is typically to do the more structured, the more process-based, the more predictable things. Um, And the opportunity of AI is that it can look forwards rather than just looking backwards. Um, and so it can be much more predictive, for example, about your healthcare and therefore predict when you're more likely to have an illness and therefore you can anticipate that and you can do something about it before it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's the opportunity of it. The care, if something was to happen or how to emotionally um, support that person if they, they learn of some illness, um, that becomes a human challenge still. So I think, you know, it's about finding the place, like we said before, in the, in the gaming or the music industry, in, in, in areas like healthcare too. It's about finding what can the technology or the AI do and then where does the human intervention come in? You know, really, these technologies and AI 
in many ways, they, they help us, if they're used effectively, they help us to become more human. They help us to become superhuman, as I would call it. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, to take away the Mundele experiences, to help us to process data faster, to help us make better choices, to help us to be smarter and, and healthier as people, to help us to lift things with an exoskeleton which we could never lift ourselves, be you in a shipyard or be you in a factory or in the military. So, you know, be using those technologies in a positive, useful way to enhance our human capabilities is the opportunity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I guess um, you know using all that uh, technology for the for the right reasons. Um, I want to ask you, what is the world you want to see in twenty years' time? Uh, I've got two daughters who are fifteen um, and eighteen years old, um, and you know, in twenty years' time. I'm sure that they'll be grown up, they'll probably have children, um, they'll probably making their dreams true in the same way as I'm making or trying to make my dreams to come true today. So what is the world I want to see for them? I want to see a world where, where they're not hindered in their, in, in, their, in their opportunities, perhaps in the way in which many people are in the world today, um, not hindered by their backgrounds, not hindered by their, their, their resources, uh, financial or otherwise. And they have the same opportunities to do amazing things. So I think that's one of the things. So we have a more equal platform to be able to do things. Um, but I also hope that I can see a world where, you know, truly from a political or business or technology point of view, um, we, we truly value the world of togetherness, that we can, we can, we can be better together um, and that we've got more in common than we've got different and that we can actually... If we work together in different ways, we can achieve much more. Mm -hmm. And talking about your daughters, uh, mm -hmm. I'm sure you have gone through the whole educational process and having your daughters going through school. How old are they? Uh, 15 and 18. Okay, so they're yeah. right in the middle of it. Uh -huh. uh, or at the end of... Um, end of school and uh, looking school. for the next level. Exactly. Yep. So one, one area that we are, you know, especially involved in is education. Um, how do you see the future of education? Um, and do you think that the current model is flawed? Ah, flawed. <laughs> the uh, the current model's kind of pretty much redundant. <laughs> um, so you know, there's a couple of things. Um, firstly, you know, there was a great book written uh, recently called "The Hundred Year Life," and the hundred year life is all about saying, well, most people who are born today, or even the people born in the last twenty years, will probably live to a hundred years old. Um, And in that hundred years, they'll see enormous change going forward. So, you know, much more change than we've seen in our lives. And they need to be particularly adept at changing. And to recognize that, you know, something which my father or my grandfather took for granted, which would be one career, one job for life, um, is certainly not possible today and certainly definitely won't be possible even per decade in the future. So they'll go through many changes. And they'll, they'll need to both reactively and proactively um, seize those changes. So that means keeping learning, keeping learning and unlearning the old things and learning new things. And so learning truly does become a lifelong vocation. So therefore, you know, the idea which most business people still have, which is that you can, you can go to business school when you're in your 20s and then you've got all the knowledge which you require for the next 40 years is pretty stupid. Um, so you know, being able to keep going back and to keep topping up or changing um, your knowledge. So that starts at school. And that starts at school in terms of not learning knowledge, but learning how to learn. 
mm-hmm. and therefore it's about the mindset which people have when they're children uh, in terms of how they are inquisitive, they're curious, that how they ask the right questions rather than have the right answers. And then how they learn to debate, how they learn to explore, how they learn to appreciate different points of view, take different perspectives. That's what becomes really important if they're going to be able to have an open mind and continue to learn in the future. And then education as it evolves into adulthood, um, you'll have new types of systems which will be there either to support or available to people. And you know, a great example of that is Sebastian Thrun's um, Udacity business, mm-hmm. um, which has nano degrees, which are typical 12-week programs, um, sponsored by uh, willing employers um, to say, well, we need digital uh, driverless car engineers, or we need virtual reality headset designers. And so we're going to fund these courses, and we're going to find as much talent as we can, and we're going to give them a 12-week deep immersion into the requirements of that, and then we'll take the people from that. And you know what Sebastian from promises at the end of those 12 weeks, if you don't get a job, you get your money back. And so being able to constantly go back to the well and top top up or to change your capability set with a nano degree throughout your life, I think will become the new norm. That's that's amazing, and that's one of the opportunities that technology brings us, right? Yeah. Um, I'm sure you're familiarized with Sir Ken Robinson. Yep. Um, you know, and he talks about how traditional schools are killing killing creativity, yep. and you know, I think to just add on on your point, I think creativity is something that needs to be encouraged in the new educational models, right? To be able to be a lifelong learner, like you were mentioning, and really be a, able to adapt to new environments yeah. and to the new. Job landscape, and I, and I think you know Ken Robinson starts off that conversation, and you know the number of YouTube hits he's had shown what a great interest there is Absolutely. in that subject. But if you look at countries like Finland, for example, you know Finland's probably a leader in terms of embracing technologies to learn in different ways. You know, within the next um, 10 years, within Finland, we'll see the majority of education being acquired through peer-to-peer activity. Now that means for school kids, the majority of what they'll learn will be from their peers, the other kids, not from their teachers. So teachers become much more of a facilitator. Teachers become a way in which they support kids in terms of learning from each other. And we all know the best way to learn is to teach. And so the kids become the teachers of each other. Um, And so so through different media, it might be Snapchat, it might be Instagram or whatever it might be. being able to support that. You know, if you look at the number of vloggers online on YouTube today trying to make their million dollars out of, you know, their cosmetics tutorials or whatever it might be, (laughs) you can see how many young people enjoy um, espousing their thoughts in terms of what matters. And so if you can harness that kind of creativity and that kind of desire to share knowledge into an educational environment, that becomes the new role of the teacher. And, and that supports a much more um, uh, authentic and honest and relevant way of learning because it's in the language of kids. It's the bits which kids want to learn from each other. And it actually has a desire to want to learn because you're talking to your mates as opposed to some teacher who perhaps you're not feeling comfortable in the class with because you don't want to be there. Mm-hmm. Totally, and that's what some people have named the flip class model. Absolutely, right? Where yeah. some people um, say, you know, the teacher is not not a teacher anymore; should be actually a facilitator, like you very well said. Um, just to wrap it up, I want to hear um, for someone that is, um, I consider, you know, very forward thinking already from what I heard today. Um, what is the legacy you want to leave in the world? Uh, that's always a hard one, but I think it's an important one because. Uh, it's not, it's not 
it's not what I do. It's what I do for other people, which should matter. And it, and it does actually matter. Um, you know, I, I spend an awful lot of time working with other people, with companies, uh, with business leaders. And, and people often say to me, you know, why don't you just develop a business yourself? Because if you've got all these bright ideas, you could just make a load of money and you could just disappear off into the sunset. And, you know, I think about it. Um, but the answer is that I wouldn't be fulfilled. My, my inspiration and what keeps me going is actually seeing the smile, the light bulbs in people's heads, the moments when they go away and they see they're inspired um, by, by, by what I share with them. And, and that is incredibly fulfilling. And I can, I can live a full and happy life by doing that. So I think the legacy, which I would like to leave for people, is that they have the confidence, both male and female, and any form of background to say, well, I could change the world. Beautiful. And that, that's kind of a quite a big thing, but to really be brave and bold enough to say they could change the world. And that would be brilliant. Amazing. Uh, thank you very much for your time. I think we can leave it there. Um, I think you left a lot of people inspired, definitely me as well today. So you're definitely um, living up to your purpose. Thank you. That's great. Thank you. <laughs>